our special guest, Gordon Vernick, is here. Dr. Gordon Vernick. It's great to be here, and uh, I'm looking forward to our conversation this morning. Thanks for being here. Uh, you know, we the our theme, Gordon, is is what you learn learning music. We we touch on that by drawing a lesson from the conversation at the end of the podcast. But I think we're going to be closer to that theme today uh, than we've been yet, because we're going to talk about education and learning and, and what that's all about. I met Gordon in a unique way, didn't I? Yes, you did. <laughs> we met many, over 30, almost 35 years ago. 1989. Yes, we did. 80, 80, no, 87. 1987. Yes. 87. Because you were playing in... Um, you were at Georgia State then. Yeah, it was my last year there. Uh-huh. He came down to audition for the new jazz job, and I played piano for the audition. But when he, came, when he got the job and came in the fall, I was not there anymore. No, that was uh, I was a little surprised um, because the band sounded really good, and then the only one who stayed was Sam Skelton. A couple of the other kids um, that, that did emigrate to University of North Florida did did come back. Um, but Sam Skelton, the saxophone. He stayed. You know, he had. You know, he was, had a vested interest in yeah. staying. He was starting to build his professional career well, and his credentials. And that, that too. You know, hormones had had a big part of that. And <laughs> he's as, still he's teaching. Uh, where does he teach? He's at Kennesaw State. Kennesaw, that's what I thought, very yeah. well there. And if you listen to to any Turner Network, you have heard of saxophone playing. Mm-hmm. He plays right. He, probably one of the most often recorded musicians in the in the metro area. Just just an amazing amazing cool. talent. Well, um, you want to talk about education and teaching and music and the life lessons that we yeah, learned? Yeah, give us a little, if you will, give our listeners a little background on your history at, uh, at Georgia State. I never realized how prominent a role Georgia State has played in, uh, in the music scene, not just here, but I mean, so many great musicians that have come through there, that have taught there, both of you guys mm-hmm. and, and other really, really accomplished people. So that Rialto program was is very interesting. So talk a little bit, of, if you will, tell us a little bit about your history. Well, uh, it's I'll, I'll go. I'll go through. I'll do try to do it quickly. I, I um, grew up in New York City. My father was a professional musician. He was a conservatory trained violinist. And in the 1930s, he had to make a decision between he wanted to play jazz music, big band music, or an orchestra. And he decided that he wanted to you know stay in New York. And so he. He picked up, you know, he could always play the string double bass, and that became his primary instrument. But even growing up as a child, I remember seeing him walking around our apartment or a house with a violin under his chin. But he didn't do that so much professionally. So I grew up around music, classical music, jazz, and he would often take me to work with him um, uh, to jobs. And I got to meet a lot of his friends. And I saw the camaraderie. That was the first thing that I, that I noticed as a child, that, that the love that the musicians had for each other. And then the look on their faces when they were playing. And I could just feel the energy when it was going right. And we, 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 we sense the same kind of things when Kevin and I are playing and things are just really popping the right way. I just have to look at everybody's face and we're all just so closely attuned to each other and there's no words that have to be spoken we're just communicating um, because music is a language nothing has to be said i can just look at kevin or the bass player or drummer and just know exactly what's going on and the communication 
So I sensed that. I didn't know what was happening, but I sensed that at an early age, and I, I thought that that is the, probably the coolest thing. And of course, of course, you you learn to grow up, you know, idolizing your parents. You put them on a pedestal, then you realize that they're human. But <laughs> that part of his personality and his um, his being was so strong that I said that's what I really like. I didn't understand it. So you know, I'd like most kids. I played trumpet or an instrument. Back in the 60s, you know, you, you started in elementary school and I was pretty good at it. And, you know, he was old school, so he would kind of lord it over me. And then I had to put distance between me and him. And then I became very inter- interested in jazz. And I and what I liked about jazz or, or improvisation was the fact that I didn't have to read the music exactly from the page. You know, I was in band and orchestra. I would make up my own parts. The orchestra conductor, Mr. Cornelius, would stop the orchestra and say, Farnick! What are you doing? And I was like making up little parts on my own because I, I got bored playing Haydn because basically you're playing a root, a third, or a fifth, like, you know, beep, bop, beep, bop, bop, bop. And I was like, God, I can't do this. So I added a sixth scale degree or seven. And I was just, I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew that I, I needed to do something away from the written page. And um, so that's that's really how I got started. Now, most kids today, as is, is, you, know, you know, Kevin has um, uh, grown children, um, they have to be involved in, in some kind of activity, whether it's sports, academics, um, dance, theater, music. And music provides an outlet for students that are really interested in something and, and, and to find a sense of belonging and camaraderie and, and a sense of home, which is really important. And uh, music does it in a, you know, it's a competitive, but there's, there's there's no physicality. It's not like football. I had a son who played football, and every time he would play, I was like, oh, my God. You know, is he going to break something? And he yeah. did break a couple of bones. Yeah, sure. Or when he would cycle, I thought I was, every time he'd go on a ride, a competitive ride, I was always afraid. I was get that phone call. Um, I said, you know, Dad, I'm okay. And then the next <laughs> thing is like, okay, what happened? But with music, you know, you don't have that. And it's um, it's safe, but it's also, you know, it, it really um, requires the students to have to go through a series of, of uh, you know, process a process of learning to get better because what happens with a lot of students they don't get better and they get frustrated and then they quit and then the horn stays in the uh, closet but when you study with a, a, a mentor like like kevin um, or all the teachers that we have at george Hader, myself we try to show them the how you can get better and we, we 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 draw parallels between sports and, and other things so they can see the process is always the same you identify what you can't do you have to isolate the particular movement then find an exercise that addresses that weakness whether it's basketball or playing the trumpet or piano or we're learning trills and classical music it's about um looking at a big picture and just dissecting it and figuring out how can I get from point A to point B. And uh, and music teaches that a lot. And then, of course, with improvisation, then students have to really delve into a much deeper understanding of the mechanics of music because we have to make decisions on which note we want to play over which harmony then it gets really calm then it gets like when someone tries to explain chemistry i'm, I'm reading and doing an audible right now on this the scientist is talking about why calories count he's talking about glycemic index i have no idea what he's talking about <laughs> but it's very interesting what i want to know is what's the bottom line what should i eat what should i not eat mm-hmm. and the same thing we can do that with you know with young musicians they, they're not interested so much interested in the nuts and bolts but which note will work best over this harmony and that's what we're trying to teach them well, you know, Gordon, um, you just won this award, the Jazz Hero Award from the, the Jazz Journalist Association mm-hmm. of America. And I'm, I, was, I was delighted to hear about it because I've been here in Atlanta for, oh my gosh, pretty long, coming up on 20 mm-hmm. years, and seeing all this work you do beyond just the university writing these programs, 
that reach out to kids of all kinds of backgrounds. I, you know, when I was in Florida, I did some of this type of stuff, mm-hmm. but nothing on the scale of what you've achieved here with this. It was my main reason for wanting to have you here. Was this, and I, we talked about you before I found out about that award, but this stuff you do with the, the Rialto program for kids and the, the Rialto Youth Jazz Orchestra, um, it, you've got a great legacy of people that you've touched with this. And you get to experience the, the different ways that jazz or music itself mm-hmm. uh, influences students of all these different ages. You know, um, you were talking earlier about uh, our friend Martin Norgard and some research that he did with your project. Well, this is this is really interesting when you're when you're applying for grants and um, the subject is is arts and things that deal with cultural, which are really music is not a hard science. Um, Theater is not a hard science, so it's not like you know scientific research. So you have to sometimes you need to look for some kind of way to quantify um, what you're doing. And so with our Rialto Jazz for Kids program, which has been in existence for over 20 years, um, we're looking for ways to um, justify our program. When you're writing a grant, they want to know how do you how can you quantify the the benefit of such. You can say, well, music is good for people. Well, is there a does it lower your calorie caloric in, intake or whatever? You can't you can't do that. So, but what you can do is you can test people, you can test them. So with um, our one, one of our partner, partnering middle schools is a, is a very good school. And um, Martin, Martin Norgard is very interested. He's a very good jazz violinist, so he understands that world. He also understands the classical world. And he's a, he's a researcher. He's looking for ways to see how music affects the brain and, and can quantify if there is a positive benefit. Long story short, we took um, the kids who were in our Rialto Jazz for Kids program. They're middle schoolers. We, we have a jazz combo. We teach them how to improvise. Of course, they're, you know, they're, they're very young students. They're not going to be improvising like Charlie Parker, which is very basic. But they're making choices. Improvisation is composition basically without an eraser and a pencil. So you're making choices. I'm going to play this note or this note. Or I heard something. Charlie Parker played this note. As opposed to reading music, reproducing music from the page, which is the pretty much the European conservatory mold. So they hooked up. We, we got permission from the university to do this, and and we got permission from the uh, from the school and the parents, and we brought the kids in. They hooked up electrodes um, to the children, and then they gave them a battery of tests, which in, in, in dealt with mathematical and spatial issues. And what we found, and this has been quantified and it's been corroborated, is the students that were in the jazz program, because they are making choices about which notes they're going to choose to play, versus the kids who are in band who are not making choices. And that's my experience playing in Mr. Cornelius's orchestra. I was making choices to not play the music on the page. <laughs> we found that the kids scored higher in these tests, this battery of tests, because they were making choices. So they had to figure out, you know, it's like... Um, uh, you know, judging distances if you've never done it before. But if you're a football player or a baseball player, or basketball player, you have to learn how to judge distances versus somebody who does the same exact repetitive thing um, time and time again. So we did find that there is a positive impact and um, it's been written up. But of course, what happened was COVID in 2019, 2020. And of course, all that good material that the publicity we're getting, everything kind of got, got put on a show. But we, we found that it it does impact. So another story um, is uh, when I was in seventh grade, my father um, was a professional musician in New York, got something what's called um, MPTF, uh, which is a Musician Performance Trust Funds, has extra money where they will pay for professional musicians. Kevin, you might have 
experienced this or done this yourself, and go into schools and play for kids. So um, somebody at the Musicians Union Local 802 um, got some money and they asked my father to put a band of professional musicians together to go play at my, uh, by this time I was in what's called junior high, I was in seventh grade, to go to the local elementary schools and play jazz for kids. But it wasn't, you know, like an education, it was just play for kids mm -hmm. and they loved it. And my dad asked me, he said, I was learning how to play the trumpet, I played pretty good. At that time, Herb Alpert was huge in terms of <laughs> pop music. Um, I loved I, you know, Herb Alpert because it was catchy music. I loved Al Hurt. I loved Maynard Ferguson. Miles Davis, I didn't quite understand. I liked Doc Severinsen. And so I learned these songs. And he, so he said, you're going to come and you're going to play in at the school in front of the kids. And I said, okay. So I learned the Spanish Flea and a couple of other tunes. And I played them with this band. I was really nervous. I had to memorize all the music. And I could see the response of the kids to see someone their age getting up playing the trumpet fairly well. I'd, I'd love to have a video of that. Probably just so, just okay. Maybe you do. <laughs> Somebody might. Did they have videos then? No, they had just audio, you know, tape recordings. Um, so the point is that I saw that that was the very first time I, I did something like that, and it really didn't register. But what did register was the the reaction. So you know, go ahead. You know, um, when I was in graduate school, we would sometimes do outreach concerts. And um, I did get a grant at my first college teaching job, University of Missouri, and we went out. But it wasn't so much what we're doing now. We weren't really teaching the kids. So at some point, um, the director, the former director of the Rialto um, Theater uh, Center for the Arts, uh, Leslie Gordon, and I, we, we talked together. And she was really concerned about what we call the graying of our audiences for jazz. Mm -hmm. How can we... Um, reach a different demographic and I said well I think what would be really good is to let's go let's start a program where we'll go into schools on in an ongoing program where we, we will work with kids and teach them how to play you know if you play a concert for kids and they love it there's no way to measure the impact they love it the teachers love it but you're gone mm -hmm. the only way to measure an impact is to constantly go month by month by month by month and then also have uh, a band director who understands something about jazz mm -hmm. but understands can watch us and see how we teach the kids and also bring a great group of musicians who are not only good musicians but the most important thing when I hire these musicians is their ability to teach and to relate to younger people I've had people who are great musicians but they don't they talk to mm -hmm. eighth graders like they're adults and that doesn't work so you have to kind of break it down into um chunks that kids can go oh i understand what mm -hmm. you're saying mm -hmm. so we started doing that and it's you know we've been doing it for 20 years now right that is that the basis of the award that you won the real it's, program it, it, it's 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 a it's a it's a very important component because um the kids who go through that program and you know many of the kids who've gone through it from the variety of different schools many of them have gone on to live in new york city and become important figures in the jazz scene today um, so it's it's really great. So you leave a legacy. So that's you know if you're an accountant, there's nothing wrong with being an accountant. But when you're gone, nobody's looking at your, at your numbers and say, God, that person made did great with my tax return. Mm -hmm. um, that's not so much a legacy. That's kind of a one one shot deal. But when you're a teacher and you're impacting young people's lives and they go on to you know. Uh, uh, be, you know, to the professional world, that's an incredible legacy to leave. So that's part of it. We have a high school program. Kevin helps me um, run our Rialto Youth Jazz Orchestra so the kids from middle school can filter into that if they want to. And then we take them to the next level and then we, we prepare them for college. 
and then for the professional world. So some of them come to Georgia State. Many of them go to some of the finest institutions in in the country. And um, they always come back. As One of the nice things about being at the Red Light Cafe every Wednesday is right right now is that the kids who are back on vacation come back. And we get this, you know, they're, if they're not coming to Georgia State, I can, we can hear their progress and see their growth. Um, and that's, that's a great thing. So that, that leaves a legacy. And also all the important... Um, concerts and master classes and things that we present at Georgia State that are free and open to the public. So there's um, our legacy. My legacy starts with kids at the middle school, um, high school, college. And then when, once they're out, it's like birds leaving the nest. You know, the, the mother bird feeds them, gets them ready. And then when it's time, they shoves them out of the nest. And then hopefully most of them can fly. And our kids are well prepared to, to take on the um, the requirements and um, the trials and tribulations of, of college, you know, you know, being a college student, a successful college student. Also, what we teach in the middle school program is is how to succeed, how to break things down. And, and, and most kids don't get better because they don't know how to practice. The students who know how to practice in early age because they've had a good mentor or teacher or just figured out or the athletes that figure that at an early age, those are the people we talk about, whether it's Wynton Marsalis or LeBron James. They had great mentors, but they also figured out at a very early age how to get, how to identify a problem, how to isolate it, and how to fix it. And then, of course, they have you know some other skills, skill set could be the way their teeth and lips are set up and the way their, their, their brains work, how they can hear things and then um, be able to play what they hear. So there's a lot of some things you can't quantify, but... Um, we we teach them these things, and if they catch on, there's no limit to what they can kind of accomplish. Gordon, I, I want to address a couple of things. Uh, one, uh, you had mentioned the Red Light Cafe, and you continue to do jam sessions there on Wednesday nights. That's right? correct. So if you're in the Atlanta area, uh, how long have you been? I, I remember I sat in with you once a long time ago. So I know it's been a while that you've been doing this. Well, I've been running jam sessions for um, for many years. We've been to a couple of different clubs. And usually a jam session at a club will last for maybe two or three years. And then it kind of runs its course. You know, you have a different mm-hmm. owner. There's a different demographic or just whatever. Things change. And we started at the um, red light. I think, Kevin, was in 2015 or 2014. Well, we were at that other place before. Yeah, the Speakeasy um, in, on Edgewood. Off of Edgewood. And we did that for maybe three or four years. Yeah, I think we started there in 2012. Might have gone to late 2014. And I could see things were changing. Mm-hmm. And I like the red light because it's a, it's a great venue. It's funky. It's, it's, it is what it is. It's got parking. It's got parking. <laughs> yeah, and right. it's, uh, it's, it's inexpensive to get in. And um, it's, it's just a really cool venue. So we've been there. It'll be... Eight years, eight, yeah. nine years we've been there um, doing jam sessions. During the pandemic, we just streamed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we just, yeah. Anything to help the venue stay open. Well, you know, we, we decided, you know, I said to the guys, I said, you know, obviously we're not going to make any money. Do you want to play or do you not want to play? Mm-hmm. And everyone said, we want to play. And we, every week we would be there, no one's in the club, just a camera. And then if people liked it, they would Venmo or PayPal, $5, $10, or they would make a request, can you play such and such? Mm -hmm. We did that for close to six months until they started letting people back in. They let 10 people in, 25, and so on. And we've kept it going for a really long time. And it's, um, you know, Joe Granson ran a jam session at a place called Twain's, and it was perfect. It was an incredibly 
it was an incredible venue. There's parking, the bar food was good. It was just really, really cool. And again, you know, things changed. The mm-hmm. management changed. We didn't want jazz anymore. Yeah. They had to find another well, place. And, and then there was Venkman's for Venkman's. a long time. Yeah, we moved from, so I did Joe's GM too. So we did. Right. We moved from Venkman's, I mean, from 20s to Venkman's, you know, was, was the process. And that place was packed all the time yeah it was, it was a pretty big place it was a lot red of like, yeah we've been packing up red yes. like, before the pandemic there were more than 10 jam sessions mm-hmm. a week the thing i like about the jam sessions as we've talked a little bit before it's a really great place where the entire community of musicians mm-hmm. meet the the professionals the amateurs the fans the students and it, it's this big boiling pot of of healthy stew I guess or everyone gets in there it's really uh, as much a part of education as the schools absolutely Um, back in in the day we didn't have um, jazz education we didn't have we didn't have master degree or undergraduate degrees in jazz um, performance it was strictly classical Mm -hmm. so people who were interested in playing this music basically learn how to play an instrument and then they they mentored they were mentored by somebody and then they got to a point where they could read um, reasonably well and, and take care of business they got hired and they started their careers that's the way it used to um, be those days are gone and they're not coming back so we've had to figure out another way to get from point A to point B and that's going into the schools teaching the kids having band directors who understand jazz and an appreciation of it it's, uh, the music is, is really misunderstood at the conservatory slash college level people don't understand really what's what's going on and there's a you know and I'm trying to dispel those we're trying to dispel dispel those myths and those prejudices against the music that we still find ourselves up against someone mm-hmm. will say to me um, you have uh, they refer to um, young jazz musicians as jazzers which I find um, a despicable um, uh, a comment um, because it's denigrating the music that mm-hmm. we're not at the same level of so we're, we're doing the best we can to equalize that because it's it's American music it's it's mm-hmm. uh, is what is it? it's American music it's important and it should be taught it's part mm-hmm. of the fabric when I was at Ithaca College and I went in 1972 that was the first year the jazz band was allowed to rehearse in the music building before that they had to go to the student union or some other basement or something like that mm-hmm. but that was the first year and that was because uh, there was a legendary band director there who would just you know obviously didn't like jazz and he didn't want to have any of that kind of music in, in, in the building and I didn't realize at the time that because at my high school we had a jazz band that the band director didn't know anything about it but we, we had it and we had it was a lot of fun but mm-hmm. at this college conservatory it was like this is verboten mm-hmm. and that was true to a lot of schools I mean can you imagine today the Juilliard Conservatory has a, one of the finest jazz programs in the world where before you know 25 years ago before jazz at Lincoln Center that was unheard of they didn't get a program until the 21st century 2001 or two and even now it's in a separate building and complex from the music department jazz at lincoln center is what nine blocks away that's the the juilliard jazz department Mm -hmm. is nine blocks away from the music department um separate entities Mm -hmm. you know you know i my philosophy is music's music Mm -hmm. Either it's good or it's not. Yeah. 
That's the and, two kinds, right? Yeah, the two kinds. There's two kinds and of music. Good and bad. Good and bad. <laughs> you know, it's like you know, there's it's like restaurants. You know, say you like Mexican cuisine, you like Argentinian cuisine, you like stuff from Chile, from Colombia, or you like it from Spain or from France, whatever. And it's basically music is like the pro, the, the the raw material that you cook from. You always start with a with fresh vegetables. You start with good herbs and spices fresh beef, whatever it is you use. And that's that's what we do with music. And then you change it to whatever um, uh, uh, culture or whatever um, style that you want. To, it, jazz is all about nuance. And it's a, it's a way to play. It's not so much a thing. It's not concrete. It's a way to play. It's an attitude. One more thing that I wanted to ask you about to address uh, is a, a young person who hears this music, wants to learn how to play this music, what should they do? How should they get started? Uh, what you know, whether they live in Atlanta or New York or in Lake Charles, Louisiana, or Carlsbad, California. What what should a young person? What what's the path that they should oh, start okay, out? Okay, I'll start this answer with. Um, I've had kids who um, come to us from the most remote parts of the country where there's no jam sessions, there's no jazz musicians. And I ask them, how did you learn? And they'll say, YouTube. We got everything off of YouTube. So the um, the technology today is is amazing because back when Kevin and I were starting, that didn't exist. So now you can, at the, at the touch of a button, you can access more information now than you could ever thought. There's nothing, n- nothing replaces live performance and, and being able to ask questions, but now you, they have access. Um, you don't choose music it it chooses you and whatever style of music you like that also chooses you whether you want to play in an orchestra or you want to sing opera or you want to sound like billy holiday or play trumpet like miles davis again that's that's the seasoning that's a nuance but the basic structure they're either you can play the trumpet or you can't you can sing or you can't in whatever style you want so you, it, the important thing is to have a mentor a teacher um access to materials but most of the kids that we, we come across um, kind of just do it on their own. Um, Morgan Guerin came to me in sixth grade and playing the tenor saxophone at one of our partner schools. And uh, as band director, a dear friend, Sarkina Walker, who's a great teacher, plays saxophone. She says, uh, Morgan, Morgan is very quiet. I said, Morgan, you stand up and play for Dr. Vernick. And uh, can you, you play that song you played for me, Giant Steps? And I was there with Gary Motley, and he stands up and he plays. He's like, he's just a kid. He plays a melody and he starts improvising. Motley, and then we look at you like, what in God's name is God? I said, how did you, how did you do that? So I asked the kids, and he says, well, you know, my father was a musician, and he got the bug when he was three. He was playing drums and and this and that, and he pretty much he. His father's a famous musician, the bassist but, Roland Garing. But but he he inspired himself and had the. It's about curiosity. Mm-hmm. If it's, if you have to keep spoon feeding a kid because they're not curious, that's going to be a real long road for them. But if the, if a student is curious, they'll come into me and they'll say, "I found this. I found this. What do you think about this?" That's my favorite kind of student. If the student just comes in and I and I have to fill them up with stuff. That's a lot of work for me. But when they come back, so it's about curiosity. And then, of course, music makes you feel a certain way. I mean, you hear a piece of music and it can bring tears to your eyes or it can make you want to jump into a mosh pit, 
whether it's heavy metal or, or, or whatever, techno metal, whatever it is, it makes you feel a certain way and everyone has their, their, their preferences. Um, of course, we don't want it to be you know, somewhere where someone can get hurt, <laughs> but it, it makes you feel a certain way. And obviously with young Morgan, it made him feel a certain way and he was so curious. And he also figured out how to practice. That's, that's the only way I can, I can put it. We see these videos on YouTube of like a three-year-old kid playing the drums and they must have seen something and then they figured out something and maybe they had a, a teacher, you know. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm, these phenom uh, videos that you see. But that's, that's, that's not the norm. Yeah. But, but when we get a student like that, it's, it's a blessing. Most of the kids fall somewhere in between, but we can mentor them. We can give them the information. We can make corrections. There's a way to make a correction where it doesn't, it's not confrontational. Mm -hmm. And that's what a good teacher does. Great. 